0: Welcome to this sermon podcast from Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that God's word will be an encouragement to you, and a reminder that the Bible has all the answers to living a successful and fulfilled life. Again, thanks for listening. We now join the service in progress. And I do hope that you had a Merry Christmas. Uh... We've enjoyed having our daughter, Erin, home. She lives down in Greenville, South Carolina. We've enjoyed having her home for the most part. I mentioned earlier that uh, when she comes home, she parks it for the entire week. And my lazy boy, my lazy boy. And somebody said, does she really do that, Pastor? Yes. Yes, she really. Erin, she's sitting over here. She's trying to hide. Yes, she parks. And not only that. I mean this is the season of bowl games but her we have one TV in the house and her and her mom make a majority I hate Hallmark Christmas movies <laughs> hate them hate them hate them and then I get home the other day you know it's, you know, I had a 50-50 chance when it's just me and Sharon, but you know, and now it's two to one in the lady's favor. And I get home the other day, and I sit down on, my, on the couch, because she's in the Lazy Boy. And out on the table in front of me, I told Sharon, I said, what is it with you ladies and candles? What is it with candles? She had so many candles lit in that house, I thought, we're going to die from carbon monoxide poisoning. We cannot, we cannot survive this. So for you, I hope it was a Merry Christmas. For me, it was okay. It was, <laughs> I'm getting through it. I'm getting through it. So, But it is good to have Erin home. Uh, Pray, she's supposed to fly out Tuesday morning. And have you heard the updated weather? It's quite iffy over the next 24, or 48 hours. But uh, I'm going to get her out of here one way or the other if I have to drive her. <laughs> if I have to drive her back. No, we do have that kind of relationship. We can pick at one another. We love each other. And I told somebody the other day, they said, does she really take over your lazy boy? And let me put it in perspective. Yes, and I wouldn't have it any other way. And I love having her home. I'm very proud of Aaron. Our theme for 2018, well, first of all, the title, The Apostles. Now, here's what I want you to get. Now, this is going to encourage you. If there's one thing that we're going to learn from the apostles today that's very evident that should encourage all of us, is God uses flawed people. We are very much aware of our flaws. And if we're not careful, we'll think, God can't use me. I'm here to tell you that the apostles themselves, who were handpicked by Jesus, and he walked and talked with them, they were flawed. And if he can use them, he can use us. Now, our theme for 2018 up here, Mark 16, 15. And he said unto them, that's the apostles, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now that statement was recorded 2,000 years ago, and it's been preserved all this time. In other words, we haven't lost it. We still have this verse 2,000 years later, because it not only applied to the apostles at that time, It was recorded and it was preserved because it has equally applied to every generation of Christians up into and including our generation today. We call this the Great Commission. And what this verse says is that we are to spread the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news. The good news is that even though we are born sinners and destined for hell... God sent his only son, Jesus, to die for us, to take our punishment upon himself. And by simply receiving the free gift of salvation, we don't go to hell, but we go to heaven. That is the gospel. That is the good news. That is what people need to hear so that they can choose to follow Jesus and be saved. And every one of us in this room... who are born again, have that responsibility to share the gospel. But what I find very interesting is what is contained in the verse preceding that. Verse number 14. We haven't looked at that verse all year, but we are on this last Sunday of 2018. What does Mark 16, 14 say? Before he gives them the great commission, he said this. Afterward, he, Jesus, appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat. Of course, Judas, you know, the story of what happened to him, so he's not there. So they're eating, and it says, well, let me start over. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart. Because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. When it says that Jesus came to them while they were eating and upbraided them, do you know what upbraid means? It wasn't a compliment. In fact, it was just the opposite. He gives them, right before the Great Commission, he gives them an extremely stern rebuke. That's what upbraid means. And he's rebuking them because he's gone, he told them he was going to go to the cross, he was going to die, going to be buried three days. On the third day he would arise. And all of that happened. And word has gotten back to the 11 that it happened. Eyewitnesses came and told them he did what he said he was going to do. And yet, they were very reluctant to believe. They were still fearful. They were still timid. And for that, Jesus upbraided them. What's the definition of upbraid? It means to criticize severely, to find fault with, to reproach severely, to scold vehemently, to reprimand. The Lord was upset with those men. There's no other way to put it. In modern vernacular, he was just upset with them and he let them know it. I imagine they're all hanging their head in shame. Here's what the commentator Albert Barnes had to say about that verse. Jesus rebuked them or or reproached them. This was done because after all the evidence they had had of his resurrection, still they did not believe. This is a most important circumstance in the history of our Lord's resurrection. Never were people more difficult to be convinced of anything than they were of that fact. The Lord was upset with them. He upbraided them. He reprimanded them. He scolded them. Gave them a piece of his mind, we might say. Mean no disrespect to the Lord. Adam Clark, another commentator, said concerning that verse... Never were there a people so difficult to be persuaded of the truth of spiritual things as the disciples. They get, if you will, chewed out. I mean, upbraid has has with it the strongest of emotions. Now, hold it right there. Let's look at those two verses together. Verse number 14. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them in the next breath, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. To the same... Men that he had just scolded. These are grown men being scolded, by the way. Okay? It'd be like taking 11 men, grown men out of this room, good men out of this room, and Jesus coming in and just letting us have it. Okay? These are grown men. These aren't kids. These are grown men. He upbraids them, and in the next breath, he says, Go ye into all the world. And preach the gospel to every creature. The same men that were so flawed are now given the most important marching orders in the history of the world. What does this passage say? You know, this is part of my job as a a pastor to, to tell you what the passages say, what the passages mean, and how it applies to you. What this passage says, Jesus rebuked the eleven because of their unbelief and then gave them the most important task given to man to spread the gospel. That's what it says. What does it mean? What, What can we take away from this? That God uses, obviously, flawed people to spread the gospel. How does this apply to you and me today? Do not let the fact that you are flawed prevent you from carrying out the Great Commission. Don't let the fact that you and I are flawed keep us from obeying God's orders to share the gospel. Let's consider real quickly uh, some of the flaws of some of the apostles. Jesus chose Peter. Peter later denied Jesus in the courtyard of the high priest. Also, he was impetuous and would say and do things without thinking. Jesus chose Andrew, Peter's brother. In John 6, 9, before the multiplication of the loaves and the fish, Andrew said to Jesus, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what good are these among so many? In other words, Andrew hadn't learned his lesson. He's still slow to to know that Jesus can do anything. Next, Jesus called James and John. We discover later that they were following Jesus for the wrong reason. They were looking for their own glory. It was what was in it for them. Jesus called Bartholomew, but we know no more about him. He is mentioned as one of the twelve, but we are not told anything he said or did. Perhaps speculation. He was a timid man, a few words, who struggled maybe even to overcome his shyness. Can any of us relate to any of these men? Next, Jesus called Matthew. Matthew had a pass. He was a tax collector before Jesus called him. If he was like any of the other tax collectors, he would have collected a lot more in taxes from people than he returned to Rome. In other words, he padded his own pocket. Jesus called Thomas. But he would only believe in the resurrection of Jesus if he could put his fingers into the wounds the nails had made in his hand into Jesus' side. Thomas obviously was not a man of great faith. but Yet God's going to use him. Can you relate to Thomas? Jesus calls Simon the Zealot. Zealots wanted to achieve Palestinian independence from Roman occupation using military means. Simon did not know that violence achieves nothing but only encourages more violence. He would have much to learn. These men were flawed. But yet God gave those same flawed men The Great Commission. I like this insight from this quote. Despite their years of intimate association with Jesus, and though knowing him to be the Messiah, they all abandoned him at the time of his arrest. The matter of his burial was handled by others. The apostles were slow at first to accept the testimony of the women who first saw Jesus after the resurrection. Because of their fear, they met behind locked doors. So, Jesus upbraided them, he rebuked them, he, he reprimanded them. And according to the word upbraid, that means he rebuked them in the strongest of terms. And yet he used them. Let's look at a little scenario. We, we don't really know for sure how the lives of the apostles ended. There, there is speculation. But we do know this, those same men... Ended well. They, they, I mean, it may have caused them to be martyrs, but by being martyred, we know that they ended well as far as fulfilling the Great Commission. The disciples did not start all too well, but they ended strong. James was martyred in the streets of Jerusalem, or so it is suspected. Again, some of this is just speculation, sometimes educated speculation, but speculation. But we know they finished well. Matthew gave up financial security to follow Jesus Christ. He was slain with a sword in Ethiopia. Philip went fishing and hunting for men. He was hanged in Phrygia. Bartholomew was tortured and killed in Armenia near the modern-day town of Durban in the old Soviet Union. Andrew took the gospel to Russia. He was crucified in Greece. Thomas Often criticized for his doubts, left no doubt as to his loyalty to the Savior. He carried the gospel to East India, where he was run through with a lance. Thaddeus was was shot to death with arrows in Lebanon. Simon the Zealot was a member of the Jewish Nationalistic Party, ready to die for the country against the hated Romans, and said he was crucified in modern-day Iran. Peter got as far as Rome, where he too was crucified, at his request, upside down. He did not consider himself worthy to die right-side up, as did his Lord. John died in his 90s, exiled in the Isle of Patmos after writing the Gospel of John, three epistles, and Revelation. Now, whether it all happened exactly that way or not, we do know this, that those men, in spite of their flaws, in spite of their shortcomings, at some point in time, they got it. And in this life, they never were flawless. Now, they grew, and I would like to believe every one of us in this room are growing. Uh, Let me just read you this. It's not on the screen. I'm just going to read it to you. This is one person's insight. By any standard of sophisticated culture then and now, they would surely be considered as a rather ragged aggregation of souls. Talking about the, the apostles. One might wonder how Jesus could ever use them. They were impulsive, temperamental, easily offended, And had all the prejudices of their environment. They are real people like you and me. They are not saints. We made them into saints. And of course, their life after Pentecost was incredible and certainly deserve our salute. But we've turned these men into celebrities and made them into statues and cathedrals. But that was not the way it should have been. They were just plain garden variety men who were available and teachable, flexible, and dependable, willing to go with Christ. He chose them. This gives people like us hope, people like you and me who can name our faults and weaknesses much quicker than we can name our strengths, plagued by them at times, might think that if the Lord were choosing today, I would never be on that list. You might be surprised, this writer says. Jesus saw his men not as what they were, but as what they were to become. That's a great principle. And so should you and I with our children, the people we work with, our friends, we should see them in the process of what they could become. In other words, we in this room are very much aware of our faults and our shortcomings. Some of us have faults and shortcomings that only we know about. But it should be encouraging to some degree, and we're not making excuses for them, we're not making excuses for us, but it is encouraging to know that the apostles had their shortcomings as well. I mean, they walked with Jesus. I mean, they sat down around the campfire at night and listen to Jesus. And yet they had their shortcomings, and yet the Lord gave that commission to those men that he had just upgraded. You can read these quotes or this quote with me. Throughout Scripture, we see God using imperfect people for the sake of his mission. He didn't call the popular, rich, or successful to further his ministry. And that's a fact. But rather the poor broken, and faithful. I love the way the Apostle Paul described it. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. The gospel that was commissioned to us to share with others is indeed a treasure. But we are simply earthen vessels. And we're not supposed to get the praise and the glory anyway. God uses earthen vessels. It's not talking about gold vessels. Not talking about silver vessels vessels, not talking about fine China. I don't think anybody in this room, any of us, would relate to that. When he says, I'm using an earthen vessel, yeah, I can more relate to that. That's Paul describing himself, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Listen to these Three insightful quotes concerning this verse. The first one says, Like clay jars, we are fragile. We can be easily broken, but we do not have to remain broken vessels. We are never beyond the healing and redeeming power of God. In the face of failure, God responds with restoration. In spite of our shortcomings, God will work in and through us. In the midst of our circumstances, God will help us endure. He goes on to say, God doesn't stop there. He seeks to use us to speak into the lives of other broken vessels. He uses our experiences with his grace and power to comfort others. You ever think about that? He uses our experiences, our brokenness, our, our shortcomings, with his grace and power to comfort others. He desires to use us to help our neighbors and loved ones encounter the God who brings hope and restoration. And the last quote there, we are broken vessels, but this great treasure, the good news of Jesus Christ, shines through our hearts brokenness. We are concluding one year and in just two days we'll be starting another year. And if ever we need to share the gospel with those around us, it is now. We need to see 2019 as a year of Great opportunity. But some might say, oh, go for it, pastor, but I don't know how I can contribute, I'm, I'm flawed. Well, so were the apostles. And understand, if the Lord could use them, he can use you and I. And it would be just what Satan would want you to believe, that your past, the past, skeletons in your closet will prevent you from growing and being used of the Lord in a great way. That's exactly what Satan would want you to believe. But after reprimanding those men for a fault that they really had, a flaw that they really had, in the next verse he tells those same men to bring the gospel to the world. I imagine they're kind of looking at each other like, we just got chewed out. You're not done with us? Well, that's my take on it. You know, you're not done with us, Lord? I mean, you're, you're still going to use us? I could just see the Lord respond and say, yes, I'm going to use you. you know, I know your flaws. I know your shortcomings. But I'm not done with you. The, the rest of your life can be the best of your life, and that can be true for every person in here, whatever you're struggling with. I guarantee you there's not a person in this room who doesn't have some sort of struggle, some sort of internal struggles, maybe privately known only to you. But don't let that defeat you. And as long as you're still engaged, as long as you're still sharing the gospel, you're not defeated. But when you quit sharing the gospel, when you give up, you're defeated. I mean, you still may be battling, but you're not defeated. And so you stay in the battle. And we don't excuse our flaws. We don't... We don't ignore our flaws, but we don't allow those flaws to paralyze us. And the Lord made it known very well in in this verse, in the preceding verse, that he will take flawed people and he will use them. One of the things that our change of schedule has, has done for me over the past week and a half, by having reduced services, not only does it give me a chance to catch my breath, and... To relax a little bit, but it gives me an opportunity to do some reading. And you've heard me quote Alex uh, de Tocqueville. Uh, He's the one that said, America is great because America is good. When America ceases to be good, it will cease to be great. He's got a three-volume set about this thick. I purchased it. I've been reading it. It is it's one of the heaviest reads I've ever undertaken, but maybe the best book I've ever read I heard one person say, he was a Frenchman that came to America. In 1825, he came to America. He wrote his book in 1830. It is the most and scholars will tell you, it is the most insightful book on American culture, politics and democracy that's ever been written. And this man throughout the book, and he starts by studying American government in the early 1800s. He starts his book by focusing on the township. He analyzes townships in America. Then he goes to to county government. Then he goes to state government. Then he goes to federal government. And we talk about making America great again. In this book, he explains why America was great to begin with. And it was a Christian influence on this country. In the book, he states, in America, and he's a Frenchman, he came from France after they had gone through their revolution. And he's kind of comparing the two countries that have gone through revolutions. And he takes note of this, and this is telling. He says, in America, on Sunday everything stops. And he said everybody goes to church. People that will tell you today that this country was not that that this country was not built on a Christian heritage is lying. They are lying to you. Tocqueville lived in, he came over, he wrote what he observed. He said dads and moms take their family to church. Of course, there were some exceptions. There's exceptions all the time. But as a general rule, Tocqueville said, I observed on Sunday, there is no commerce. Everybody goes to church. They come home, he said, they eat. In the afternoon, dad reads the Bible to the family. That's what made America great. Our Christian heritage. Because even democracy... Out of control, you can have. Boy, I'm, I'm chasing a rabbit here. You ever heard of the tyranny of the majority? You know, a people that does not have the governor, if you will, you know, to keep it under control, the governor of the gospel, even in a democracy, things can get out of control. You know, you get, let's say there's more brown eyed people than there are blue eyed people. I don't know. Maybe it's just the opposite. But the majority, let's say, are brown-eyed, and they say, we're going to kill all the blue-eyed people. Hey, the majority wins. No, you've got to have a governor there that controls passions, that, that makes people aspire to higher things rather than just things that are materialistic and mundane. And de Tocqueville said, it's the Christian influence on America. So, our faith affects not only us individually as to whether or not we're going to heaven or not, but collectively our faith or lack of it affects us in a very real way. So for this next year, although this banner will come down, we need to recommit ourselves on this last Sunday that even though we're flawed individuals, we're going to do our part to fulfill this Great Commission. We are going to, on purpose, consciously, daily, look for opportunities to share the gospel. Here's what you can do to further the gospel in 2019. Number one, it all starts with prayer. Pray to be used of God to spread the gospel. Pray to be loving, pray to be bold, pray to be wise, but make it a matter of prayer. I think you'll be amazed. If you start praying that God would give you opportunities to share the gospel, I think you will be amazed how those opportunities will suddenly develop. So I'm asking every one of us in this room, they call Myo Baptist Church our home church, to make this a matter of really daily prayer. Dear Lord, today, help me be sensitive to the lost. Help me to be faithful to the commission. And give me the opportunity to share the gospel with someone. Number two, 2019. Be faithful to all the services you can, because your example speaks volumes. I said the other night, on Wednesday night, it was in Hebrews, I think it was. I was preaching where it says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And you have to understand, so because you, you, you come together to exhort one another and to love and the good works. So one of the reasons God wants us to assemble is, one, to be an encouragement to somebody that's there, or to receive encouragement from somebody that's there at church, okay? That's one of the primary reasons in that uh, ver- those couple verses that he says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, because you're there to encourage one another. To love and to good works, okay? So, you're either being an encouragement when you're at church, or when your friends are here, you're getting encouragement. When you're not here, neither of those things happen. Neither of those things are going to happen. So, why not just determine in 2019 that, to the best of your ability, the doors are open... The lights are on. There's somebody up in this pulpit. You're going to be here in part to either give encouragement or receive encouragement. And I realize some folks have to work. I I understand that, okay? And by the way, if you say, well, I'm not coming. I don't care what you say. That's just not, I never have and never will. I still love you. You're not the enemy. I'm not your, your, your enemy. I'll be patient with you. You be patient with me. But as a preacher... Bible does say, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And again, that, that, that is a, that's a good example to your lost family and friends to see that kind of dedication and commitment. Number three, build relationships with lost people with the intent of sharing the gospel when opportunities present themselves. You know, we're a happy church family, as, as far as I know. And we love being around with one another. And that's a good thing. The Bible encourages that. In Acts chapter 2, it talks about them fellowshipping together and getting together and breaking bread and spending a lot of time together. And and I'm not diminishing that uh, at all. I think you ought to do that. That's a good thing to do. But if we're not careful, we never rub elbows with a lost person. And you got to rub elbows with them to be able to be a witness to them. And I'm not talking about having friendships with lost people that'll bring you down, but I'm talking about being intentional, like Jesus was when he went to Zacchaeus' house. You know, he went there for a purpose. It wasn't just to befriend Zacchaeus to say we're buddies, and you know, it was you know, it was with a purpose. So I'm talking about establishing some relationships with with lost people, uh, so that you'll have the opportunity to witness. I, I heard Brother Jamie say amen a while ago, which tells me at least he's awake, and that's a good thing. So, but, but I, I encouraged him. He was involved with the coaching this year, you know, and one of the reasons I encouraged that, uh, with, with kids, uh, you weren't coaching the Lions, no. Well, that would explain a lot right there, but no. Uh, but I encouraged that. And part of that was, you know, yeah, get out there and, and, rub elbows with, with lost people. Again, you don't want them to influence you negatively, but you, you're, you're mature enough that you can influence them positively. So uh, uh, build relationships with lost people with that intent in mind. Number four, look for opportunities to share your testimony with the gospel. Just, you never know when that opportunity is going to come up. It might be sitting in a restaurant across from a friend. It might be some family member that you go shopping with. And it just comes up. You know, be conscious of those opportunities. Number five, invite people to church. Simply invite people to church. We emphasized that towards the end of last year. And I've read articles that have said many people don't come to church not because they have a problem with church, but simply because they haven't been invited. It's just that simple. In other words, there are a good many people that will come if you simply invite them to. Number six, pass out tracts when you have the opportunity. Just pass out a track. You don't have time. You're on the run. They're on the run, whatever. You can hand someone a tract when the opportunity presents itself. And number seven, Maintain a good spirit around others so as to make the gospel attractive. In other words, guard your testimony. You should not be known in the community as somebody who has the most messed up yard in the neighborhood. You should not be known in the community as a hothead. You should not be known in the community as somebody that doesn't pay his bills. You know, you don't have to be perfect. None of us could could do that. But we can have and we can work at maintaining a good testimony. And in maintaining a good testimony, people knowing that you're a Christian, that will draw people, whereas if you have a bad testimony, that's going to repel people. It's been a while since I've told the story, but I went witnessing one time with a man when I was in Chicago. He wanted to go to his uh, sister's house, and we went in, sat down, and... uh, He started to say something about the gospel. She knew where he was going, and she cut him off, and and she said, I don't want what you have. And part of the reason she said that was his testimony, because I knew what his testimony was, and it wasn't a good one. And he was just—he you know, just hurt himself because he was inconsistent in his faith. He was in church for a while, out of church for a while, over at this church and over at that church, then out of church and whatever. And you know, when he was on fire, he was really on fire. But she just looked at his life, and it wasn't—it didn't reflect well on the Lord that he was trying to share with her. So remember this as we end this year and begin anew. God uses flawed people to share hope, to a flawed world. God uses flawed people. The apostles, if I could use modern-day terminology, they got chewed out. I mean, I, I read the definition of upbraid. I think that's synonymous. The Lord let them have it. These grown men, perhaps hanging their head in shame, and then the next minute, he says this to them. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And how does that apply to you and I? We know we're flawed. I know I'm flawed. You know, I come to church, I put on the tie, the suit, and whatever. But I know. I know who I am. I know my shortcomings. And the devil would like to use that to just totally discourage me, totally get me to quit. I think what the Lord wants me to do, based on what we've read today from Scripture, the Lord wants me to grow, to take it when he tells me what I've done wrong, to work on it, to get better, but don't quit and keep witnessing. Keep witnessing. Don't throw in the towel. We need to impact, through missions from Myo Baptist Church, the world. But we need to impact through our witness, Northeast Michigan, and make a difference. And I think our church is poised to do just that. And we'll focus more on that on Wednesday night, some of the particulars. But be encouraged. You know your flaws better than anybody else. Don't let that defeat you. Don't make excuses. Work on it. Look to the Lord for help and keep inviting people to church. Keep... Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by God's word. If you have any questions about Mayo Baptist Church, please contact us anytime. You can find contact information on our website at myobaptistchurch.com. Thanks for listening.